Ahoy there, me hearties. My name is Salty, the Dockside Diesel, and you're listening to the Right on Track podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Ride on Track, the podcast covering all things Thomas, trains and more. My name is Em and you'll be hearing my voice throughout today's instalment, episode 67 of the podcast. Later on, you'll hear Lachlan talking to our special guest, Will James, on Model Train Corner. But first up, here's Tom Denham with guest host Cardi picking up where we left off on our Series 8 reviews. And welcome to the episode reviews yet again. You, you've heard a bit of me already this season. You've heard probably too much of me, and uh, that's why we bring other people on here. On uh, today's review, for I brought back one of the older guest hosts that we had on, not back in series seven, but back in series six. We brought Cardi on to give some thoughts on some of uh, his favourite episodes, but we brought him back just for a bit of fun. Cardi, how are you? I am good. I sound congested because I'm recovering, this will date this episode, uh, from COVID-19. But I am alive and well, and I'm excited to be here. So if you heard me in my most in the last episode I was on, I probably sound a lot better than I do now. But I'm alive and well, and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that's the case. Um, and I'm glad that you've um, overcome the virus. Um, but it's, it's a reminder that this, uh, this pandemic is uh, still going. Uh, but it's a great excuse for us to binge watch a whole lot of Thomas the Tank channels. So we're reviewing two episodes from series... I almost said series seven, but we're reviewing two episodes from series eight today. Cardi, can you spill the beans, spill the tea? Which episodes are we reviewing? So today we have the two greatest episodes of all time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Edward the Great and Spick and Span. Uh, I don't know which order those actually come in because I don't quite keep up with the hit era stuff but yeah we're doing those two uh those two gems today if there's any episode greater i think it's a lie and i think it's in the title (laughs) edward the great that it's so great that it's it's kind of both of them are in a bit of a league of their own edward the great is so good that youtube blocks almost every upload of it (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny i when i was uh uh taking my notes for these episodes i found the ones that was uh 60 frames per second and i enjoyed it greatly Ooh, yeah that's the way to watch it it is uh, much compared to uh the very uh cropped and grainy version of spick and span that i watch from you uh which is the first episode that we're going to be looking at in the clip that you're about to hear the engines find out about the railway inspector coming to sodor and all the engines want to be looking their best for when the inspector finds them the railway inspector arrives today the fire controller said what's a railway inspectacles percy asked railway inspector gordon huffed he comes to look at the railway every year he checks everything is spick and span said thomas this year he is to give a special prize to the best turned out engine added the fat controller so i want you all to look your best a special prize puffed thomas i wonder if we could win asked percy pa Gordon snorted. He's bound to give it to an express engine. 
Or one with big wheels, said Emily. I think he'll give it to a red engine, James beamed proudly. Don't listen to them, puffed Thomas. A really useful engine can look as grand as any engine. One thing I, I, I love about sequence that we've seen and throughout this whole episode is that Emily is such a jerk throughout the whole thing. <laughs> and I, I think like in, in other episodes, like she's very quick to be the nice one and who sticks up for the underdog. But right here, like pure vanity mode. Yeah, I, I love how self-centered everyone is in this episode. Like this, this is the one episode where everyone, everyone are everyone's being so mean to Thomas and Percy for no good reason. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, you're gonna get dirty, and it's like, for 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 the reboot that's trying to teach kids like how to behave, this episode is not is not the best to take morals from. So in the episode Spick and Span, um, as we mentioned before, a railway inspector is coming to the island of Sodor to uh do what his title suggests inspect uh the soda railway and he's going around with the fat controller and they're i guess looking at all the things that make a railway tick um and eventually they get around to the engines themselves and thomas and percy being the engines they are want to be good looking and shiny for the time when uh the railway inspector comes to find them and um in their quest to remain clean, Thomas gets dirty, Percy gets dirty, and every time they want to get washed, either Emily, James, or Gordon are at the washdown, and they have to come back and then go back, and it becomes uh, quite a bit of mayhem for them. But Gordon, Emily, and James get their comeuppance in the end. And- oh, they do, uh, in a rather um, se- a sequence that probably has not aged all that gracefully. Uh, the, the the one thing I love about this sequence, uh, after the railway inspector and the fat controller and the, the porters rock up, Gordon blows um, coal dust all over them. And I, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the eyes that are so strange and awful. Did they edit that somehow? I'm looking at this frame right now, and it definitely looks modified because there's no way that he can be covered in soot. And have his eyes look that clean. Or all of those guys have their eyes look that clean. And it, it's it's jarring. <laughs> so we we, we, we we skipped a bit ahead. We, we, we've given you a bit of a teaser of what's to come in the episode. But I, I think one thing that's to be said about this episode, and I think you touched on it, this episode kind of goes against about what this new era of Thomas is teaching. And I think in that respect, it kind of feels like something that should belong in the series six or seven region of the show. Yeah, everyone's... There are not a whole lot of episodes that are like this either in in the hit era where everyone is just mean to each other. I could see this being a season five episode. Like, it's it's almost right out of that season, sans the, the digital cinematography and, and the eight-minute runtime. One of the things I love is that I think Gordon and James particularly are very true in character form here. Like... Both of them are, like, absolutely horrible to the little engines on a daily basis. And we were kind of, like, washed clean from that at the beginning of Series 8. But it kind of comes back here. Yeah, and it's nice to see that return to form. I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, I know Mark Seal wrote this episode, but I don't know. I really couldn't tell you much else about him as a writer. But it was nice to see that sort of return to form there even if it's just for one episode. And I, I, I think one detail that we have to talk about is that 
the pushing of the the Emily agenda is very present in this episode. I think they went out of their way to kind of take Emily out of her character to kind of shoehorn her into this script. Do you feel that as well? Uh, it's not something I've ever felt like, oh, Emily feels shoehorned here necessarily. Um, I just, when I watch season eight, I understand that Emily's going to be a big part of it because, you know, they're trying to naturally push for the female character, which which I think is fine. Uh, at least in this, I didn't feel it was a... I don't know. I I I never know. I never looked at it like that. At least growing up, it's, it's funny because I I didn't see that either. But I think like as we've come to I guess kind of look back on these episodes um, now with without the rose tinted glasses, we do notice that Emily's general character is that she's nice. She'll stick up for other engines and she'll kind of do the right thing by her and by the larger crowd. So it, it feels very strange for her to kind of be very self-centered but i kind of dig it as well yeah uh i mean a- anything is is better than <laughs> you know w- what they did with her in the cgi series yeah i mean that that, that that's a whole other conversation in, in my opinion but lightly touching on that i think thomas has this kind of trap of rebooting itself so much that it it kind of relies on the same tropes of the the previous reboot that it initially did with saying we're going to have more female characters, we're going to have a more diverse cast, but it was kind of stuff that they were trying to do before anyway, so it's kind of a history repeats itself almost. Yeah, whereas, and one nice thing I like about here is, and I keep harkening back to, well, this feels this feels semi-classic because big engines are mean to the small engines. Small engines are trying to prove themselves. This is exactly kind of how the show started. You know, it, it's, it's like the Tender Engine trilogy from season one, a little bit. I, I see some parallels there. Granted, it's it's in the it's in it's under the hit era look and and writing tropes, but there's still some uh, there's there's still some classic elements here, and I think that's why I like this episode so much because it's it's just it's it's a very typical Thomas story, which is nice. It is, and I think each character kind of gets their moment here um, on their own because what happens throughout the story is that. Thomas and Percy are working at the quarry, but Thomas is very particular about whenever he gets a, a, a bit of uh, dust on him or a bit of rock, and he decides to go to the wash down at Marin Station as soon as he can. And each time he goes, he visits James, Emily, and Gordon, and they each kind of uh, have their, their moment to say, oh, I'm going to be the best, and they kind of pepper themselves up. And then Thomas goes, oh, well, I best go back to work and help out Percy. But each time he goes back, another engine is there. Yeah, I, and <laughs> it's nice to see the washdown included. I know that's like a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a such a small thing. But like thinking of like Trouble with Mud, Percy's Chocolate Crunch, like t- those, are, those are two of my favorite episodes. And for whatever reason, a lot of my favorite episodes have this theme of, well, you can't get a washdown. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's something that can be studied but it's something I need to look into now. You just love episodes where everybody gets filthy. <laughs> I, if Percy's not ch- covered in chocolate, Gordon's not covered in mud, James Gordon and James, James Gordon and Emily are not covered in black coal suit. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a no-go for me. <laughs> so just, just quickly, what's your opinion on uh, Watch Behind Your Buffers? Hot take. Every single Narragage episode from the hit era is awful. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of that one scene where Madge, 
the the snub nose. She shits the mud. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's aged well. It looks very questionable by today's standards. Yeah, it looks like she's um she's had uh, too many wings, uh, you know, food poisoning, and it just too many curries. Ugh. Yeah. anyway anyway so um after um gordon emily and james have been washed and cleaned looking the absolute best um they decide to to pick the greatest spot of sun in the yard which happens to be at the coaling plant and they're looking around trying (laughs) to see where where they can get the, the best spot in this area and uh carelessly James pushes a flatbed, which triggers the coal hopper, and coal dust goes everywhere. I would really love to know whose thought process it was. And you're thinking, like, hey, you know where it'd be really great to go now that we're clean? The coaling plant. <laughs> I, I can't think of a better spot to go than to the, to the damn coaling plant. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can I can imagine it's probably going to be the newbie, so maybe Emily or Emily's driver because like they they have no idea, and James and Gordon are kind of like, oh, okay, we'll we'll, we'll listen to her. <laughs> like I, I understand it's it's for plot convenience, so that they can all all get musty and whatever and dirty, but it's like, hmm, yeah, we just got clean. Yeah, let's go to the quarry. Let's go to the docks. It's it's always at at the the, the bit where, like, something bad is going to happen. And I think this is more than a coincidence in Thomas the Tank Engine. It's like, go go to the shed, stay... No, this is the the wrong place. Uh, But, of course, the story has to happen. This is true, this is true. If they were Henry, they would have gone in the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. So, coal dust goes everywhere, and uh, the engines get covered... As we alluded to before, the inspector and the fat controller and the porters get covered as well. And then just in the nick of time, Thomas and Percy, shiny and clean, come right around the corner. And they get that weird little... It looks like rubber? It, the, the, it, it does, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what they made that out of, but I, it looks kind of delicious at, at the same time. You know, I want to take a bite out of it. What would it taste like? Uh, Well... Depending on what they made it on, you might not even taste it. It might kill you immediately. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it might I be mean, so bitter. I, I, I wouldn't try. But it's, uh, they're, they're given this cute, delicious-looking little little ribbon. And, of course, in the end, little engines can do big things. And they win the competition, which is, 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 is a classic Thomas trope that, that, that I'm always here for. I, I love that you said the thing. You, you put the thing in there. <laughs> so uh, all's well as ends well um i, I would have thought it'd been like it, by no means of the hit era this would have happened but i would have laughed like if because we we see no one else in this story like the the main characters in the story are the only engines that we see i think we see henry maybe at the start but that's it i would have just like lost it if maybe i don't know Stepney or <laughs> Bill and Ben just oh, kind of yeah. came around the corner and just kind of were, were, were like the, the ones who took the place and then Thomas and Percy come around and go, wait, no, that was, that was our cue. Yeah, it's it's a shame that season eight didn't experiment with like, I, I, I don't think these are questionable characters or experimental characters, but, you know, obviously they were trying to like return to like the main core cast. But I think Bill and Ben would have been perfect for this episode, thinking on that now. Yeah, yeah. If I was to swap characters out for this episode, I would put 
Bill and Ben in the place of Thomas and Percy, and in the place of Emily, I'd put Henry, because I feel like the big three, you kind of need to have them together. And and yeah, you could sort of, you could even, if, if we were thinking really hard about this, you could sort of tie into the fact that Henry already doesn't like Bill and Ben from Percy Takes the Plunge, so that that could be a nice little narrative arc. It's continuity, it all weaves together. <laughs> <laughs> so, l- looking at this episode, Spick and Spam, um, as we said before, one of the greatest episodes of Thomas the Tank Engine, period. Uh, out of a 10, what, what are you going to rank it? Oh, God. Um, because it's hit, I'm going to automatically deduct three points. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six and a half because it's it's good. It, this this is one of the better hit air episodes in my opinion. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to do a half half rating. Yeah, you are. But... I, I think I think the most ridiculous score I've given is a six point five point two. So you can give a half. Okay, well I'll, I'll do a six point six to be contrarian. Um, so six point six because this feels classic. But unfortunately, it, it, it is muddled down by the extended pacing, which doesn't really help the episode, in my opinion. And unfortunately, the visuals of this season are just very, very bad in comparison to what had just come before it. Just touching on it briefly, um, because in the UK and Australia, we had Michael Angelis narrating these seasons, and in the States... Um, you would have had Michael Brandon for these ones. What was, explain that to me. Like, what was uh, his voice like for this era? Uh, it was just very brash and not not soothing because, you know, you, you, you get Alec Baldwin for season five. You, you get the Magic Guard movie. And then, you know, we get, Ale- we get Michael Angelus for one DVD. And when I heard Michael Angelus's voice for the first time, I was like, oh, that's a really good voice. I like that only for him to disappear for the next DVD. And then finally, once we get the the new reboot and you pop in the season eight tape for the first time and you're like, why does it look so smooth? What What's going on? Why does the music sound different? And the narrator doesn't even sound good. I think that's, you know, the UK and Australia got it very lucky where the transition was not as hard because you have the narrator who you've had since season three. Whereas we, we, had, we had a whole new narrator and it just... We're absolute worst narrator. Nothing against Michael Brandon himself, but he is the worst narrator of all time. It's funny, like when you you, you think someone's going to be a, a good narrator, um, but like there the, the, there may be flaws here and there because, like, I know I, I I've seen Michael Brandon in other works, like he's appeared in Doctor Who and various other things, and and he's a good act. He can act his chops off, but and and I felt similar. No, no offense uh, if, if you're a fan of this film, but I, I felt quite similar watching Pierce Brosnan in Great Discovery. Like, I, I loved Bond, and I think that was kind of the thing that got me back into the Thomas thing after kind of stepping out after this season. But I felt, like, look, looking back at it, there was something about the delivery that was just a bit off at times. No, absolutely. And I say this as a huge Pierce Brosnan Bond fan, uh, watching him in Great Discovery, like that's that's the easiest way to put a person to sleep, because he's he's not engaging, and he's too quiet, and it just doesn't work. And Michael and Michael Brandon and Pierce Brosnan are both great actors in, in in their respective you know shows and movies, but there's something about sitting down in a studio and reading a Thomas story, where their voice does not lend itself to that Thomas story, and 
if there's science behind that, I'd love to see it. I, but it's it's a shame because we had Michael Brandon for far too long. You did, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm 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 currently, I'm currently watching through all the US dubs of uh, the show from series one. I think I'm up to about series six, and I'm kind of slowly dreading getting to the the hit era. Oh god, yeah, season seven in, in its US dub over here is rough. I. I I'm praying for your sanity. <laughs> Jumping back to our discussion before. So, Cardi, you gave Spick and Spam a 6.6. I'm going to give it a 6 as well. I think um, there are definitely classic tropes from this story, like the tender engines versus small engines rivalry. And it kind of has that glimmer of something familiar. But I think this episode does look very bland i think in itself um and i think like this whole kind of season i think was a palate cleanser but without the cleansing (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so i i think um being hit i think i have to kind of go okay (laughs) six from me but i think that's pretty generous at this time uh in the show's current state (laughs) so moving forward we've gone from the first greatest ever episode of thomas the tanker driven friends to the next greatest episode, so great that it has great in the title, and that's Edward the Great. And in the clip <laughs> in the clip that we're going to show, um, Spencer, the boastful silver engine, has come to Napford Station and he's showing off to all the Fat Controllers engines about how great he is. And there may be a special job for one of the engines. The fat controller spoke to the engines. Spencer will take the Duke and Duchess to their summer house. Another engine will take their furniture. The fat controller's engine saw the chance for a race. Please, sir, said Thomas, Percy, Gordon and James, all together. May I go? You all have other work to do, boomed the fat controller. Edward will take the furniture. James and Gordon groaned. Fancy sending a back engine to do an express engine's job, sniffed Gordon. He'll lose the race and let the old railway down, said James. Thomas and Percy were cross. Edward was their friend. Spencer has a bigger boiler, said Thomas, but that just means more hot air. An honest steamy can beat a pouty puffer any day, added Percy. Edward set off. Slow and steady. Will do my best, will do my best, he puffed. Already, like, looking at, like, the way that this story is going to go ahead, like, if you're smart enough, you know this is a classic, like, retelling of the tortoise and the hare trope that's been used since the dawn of time. And I think one, one credit I will give with the characters that they've selected for this, I'm kind of content with who they've got. I I think if you're going to do this episode with, like, the, the Steam team, yeah, you, you pick the two... Uh, I'm really glad I didn't do Edward and Gordon, because that would have been too easy. And we, we've already got, you know, um, the Series 6 episode with them. Uh, the, the only weird thing about this is that they quite literally did this story. Uh, I think they even called it The Tortoise and the Hare with... What is it? The Jack and the Pack episodes? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Buster, Max, and and Monty. (laughs) And it's so weird to see them do it again, like, 
literally two years later. I'm I'm also mixed. A lot of people feel like Diesel should have been like a one-off character or something after you know, after Diesel does it again in in, in the Duck and Diesel trilogy. I think Spencer should have been a one-off character, and seeing him here on Sodor again is is a little weird because I think Gordon and Spencer could have been like the perfect ending point for him, just to show he's pompous uh, and. They don't give Spencer any depth in this episode, and they, until Hero of the Rails is the only time they ever give him depth. So any Spencer episode in the new series just doesn't really work for me, and this is one of those. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, it's just weird to see them do Tortoise and the Hare twice so close together. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think like one of the interesting kind of things going on in the background at this stage is that these were done by two completely different teams, and uh, I think that version of the tortoise in their hair hadn't had any kind of official release in. But you would think that the people who'd work on the show would go and look back in the catalogue, even of stuff that wasn't released, and go, hmm, maybe we shouldn't uh, do an exact retelling of a story that's been recorded less than two years ago. Right, yeah. Uh, But then you've got, you know, what was it? I I hate to jump between timelines here, but... You've got uh, Edward the Very Useful Engine, and then you've got Old Reliable Edward, which are the exact same episode when you get down to it. Exactly, Granted, that's yeah. <laughs> that, that's like a twenty-ish year gap or whatever, so it, it's it's a little bit more understandable. But come on, Abby Grant, I, I love you to death. I really do. You're you're an incredible person. But come on, do your homework. I I I, I like what you said about like the one-off characters because I feel like most people would agree that some of the best characters in this whole franchise are the one-off characters. And I often kind of lean towards the villains. Like you think of George and Bullstrode and Class 40, uh, Derek. They're they're all characters that you only ever really see in a blink of an eye or once or twice. And I think that's kind of one of the best things about them. Right. And because they show up, uh, I mean, Derek is cool. Because, you know, he shows up once and he has issues and he's, he's kind of sent away immediately. Um, and so the potential for a return is ripe. Whereas, I mean, think if if, if Spencer had disappeared after season seven and it come it was reintroduced for Here the Rails, that would have been an incredible reintroduction for him. Uh, but we've, we've come to expect, yeah, he comes to Sodor every summer with the Duke and Duchess, et cetera, et cetera. We know he's fast. Um but at least, you know, he's in character here. He's he's a dick to Edward, which, you know, that's exactly what you would expect from him. Uh, so props to Abby Grant for keeping him in his season seven persona, I suppose. One thing I, I, I do love about this story that I think sets up, I think, possibly one of the longest arcs in the whole show is that at the beginning of the episode, uh, Spencer's driver tells Spencer that, he has broken Gordon's speed record. And I think this kind of really, I think really surfaces as an arc when we get to the Brenner era, like we see Gordon and Spencer kind of showing off of one another in King of the Railway, which I think personally is like one of the best kind of presences that we've seen of these two together when they're kind of going at each other and then they're threatened by two engines who are even better than them. But then it kind of all comes closing towards um, the season 21 episode, Confused Coaches, when they decide to kind of call it a day and just um, put aside grievances. I think like having something that's kind of mentioned so early back and then pick it up again 
and like play it across multiple seasons. So I don't know. And it that, does, that does make you me. wonder. Like, I, I understand why they chose Edward for this episode. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but imagine if it. I think if this episode were centered between Gordon and Spencer, it, it might be a little bit more meaningful because you know they're both fast. So there's, I, I think there's more stakes because you don't know who could actually win. With Edward, you automatically know Edward's going to win because he's the he's the good guy. So you know what's going to happen. Right. If if you have Gordon as the main character pulling the the furniture or, or, or whatever, and you you sort of see them bond again, it could it could be almost a, a spiritual a spiritual sequel to Gordon and Spencer, which which would, I think would have been very nice. If you're going to bring him back, keep him and Gordon interacting because there's there, there's a bond there's an unspoken bond there. Um, of course, it's it's like you said, it's not really touched on until King of the Railway and, and season seventeen and beyond. Um, but it would have been nice to see that in the model series. I, I see this going two ways, and I, I really like that you kind of touched on the spiritual bond. I kind of see um, if Gordon was the one to take the furniture, I feel like he would totally get fooled himself and get into an accident of some kind, going too fast and realizing. Spencer's going to go fast as well. And now that I've learned my lesson, I can have one up on him by carefully going in these places. Um, so I, I could almost see it going that way as well. Yeah. And, you know, it, while, while we're thinking on, like, how this episode could have worked better, you know, Gordon had to save Spencer last time. Wouldn't have been, if, if this is like a sequel to Gordon and Spencer, wouldn't it have been kind of amazing and really sweet to see Spencer save Gordon this time? tie that present with a bow and send it off to Hit Entertainment. Come on, Abby Grant. We're doing your job for you. We've spoken about how great this episode could have been, but the episode that we have in front of us is is, is a very different kettle of fish. So, Cardi, (laughs) would you like to tell everybody what happens in the actual version of Edward the Great, the greatest episode of Thomas and Friends? This is what I'm not... super familiar with but I, I i have seen it many times is you know so spencer's there and they he's taking the duke and duchess to see their new summer house as he does in almost every appearance that episode that spencer comes up in uh and so they have to get their furniture to the summer house because why would you go to a house that's not furnished uh i've done that myself it's not fun and so all these engines want a chance to take the furniture and to show that they are faster than Spencer, because Spencer, of course, comes in and is, is boasting. And in a weird turn of events, the fat controller says, Edward, you should, uh, I'll, I'll let you take this. You know, all, all the engines are busy. And of course, the bigger engines are like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't let this guy take it. He's gonna, he's gonna lose the race. There's no way this is gonna work off, work out. But of course, uh, Edward and Spencer take off and Edward is struggling through every which terrain he he finds himself on. He goes to Gordon's Hill and of course he has trouble getting up that. Um he has to stop and take a rest and Spencer obviously knows that this is happening because he understands Edward is older and at one point just comes to a complete stop so the Duke and Duchess I th- I think they're having tea and cake at at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, and we see the greatest return of the greatest Series 4 character ever, the Refreshment Lady. Oh, my God. I didn't even... I, I almost forgot. Jeez. <laughs> how, how can you forget the, the, the greatest returnee <laughs> of all time ever? We saw her in the last season, but we see her again here. 
Good for her that she's still thriving. She's yeah. still living her best life, making tea and cakes. Getting left behind. What do you mean by leaving me behind? Uh, <laughs> for those of you who are familiar with the U.S. stuff. Uh, anyways, so Spencer stops uh, thinking, okay, well, Ed- Edward's you know, slow as molasses, whatever. But if, if I'm remembering right, he falls asleep. He just he, he just, does, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 Duke is taking photos of the countryside, and he decides to sleep. And he's like, "Oh, we we can we can buy time." Which I mean, God, if if he's that confident, what the hell, what does that say about Edward? Good God! So eventually, the Duke and Duchess are ready to go back, um, and Spencer is not waking up. Eventually, he does, but when he does wake up, he can see that Edward is ahead of him and going actually towards the summer house. And he realizes that he has lost the game. Oh no. In typical tortoise in the hair fashion. We've all heard this story. You get, you get cocky. you you take, you take a nap and, and, and on, on the track, you're, you're disobeying rule 55 and you get beaten. You can't do it. It's rule 55. <laughs> Wilbert would hate this story. He would. He'd be spinning in his grave. As the <laughs> fandom like... love to say. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Edward gets there and he has won the race and he, I, I think the quote is he's pride of Sodor, the Sodor Railway, which they use that quote a lot in the new he, season. It was strange, wasn't it? Like he, he said, he thinks he, like, he feels like he was a pride of Sodor Railway, which is, I don't know, like there's something very strange about that wording. Which, I mean, I would hope Sodor celebrates Pride Month. I, I, I think that is a progressive island, so I'd like to think that that happens, um... I'm not saying... They, the, they do, they do. I'm not going to say those two things are connected, but if they are, Edward, that, good for him. Love wins. What I would have loved to have seen, like, after this sequence, was, like, maybe Spencer going, like, good work, you got there first, and, like, shaking buffers on it, so to speak. But just go straight to the roll call song. Yeah, he doesn't... <laughs> Spencer doesn't even show up at the end. Yeah, that's it. That's the story. Which, um... It's like you would think when you have eight minutes to tell a story, you might actually have a solid ending. Because in the classic series, there there were so many times where the episodes would end kind of abruptly. I mean, that, that was just sort of the downside of telling a, a good story in four and a half minutes. Whereas here, yeah, it would have been nice to see some sort of interaction. Um, it seems we're just rewriting this episode, uh, which... We are. Once again, Abby Grant, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, please... Please don't take it personally. You know we understand this. This was so many years ago. For for a tortoise in the hare concept episode, it doesn't. I feel like it could have been could have been done better. I think even even the actual Jack episode handles the resolution better. Uh, but it's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah, I I, I think if I was to, to choose between the two, I'd take the the Jack and the Pack one because I think we get to see a classic, like I guess, kind of concept of it with. Um, Buster and Max and Monty, and I think the the execution of that was just done a little bit better. I think the one nice thing this episode has going for it uh, is I always like seeing Spencer at Napford with all the other engines. I don't know why, but that visual is is very stimulating for me because because you have a blue engine, you have a red engine, you have a green engine, and then you have a silver engine who stands out completely, streamlined too. So it 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 just looks so nice. Um, so at least, I mean, I understand the visuals in season. I, I said this earlier, the visuals in season eight aren't wonderful, but right here, they're pretty nice just because of the color differences between the engines. 
Other than that, though, you know, the, the digital camera work does sort of botch it a bit. One, one thing I, I do like about the difference of Spence between Series 7 and Series 8 is that he's noticeably shinier. I don't know if they got a new model for him or if they redid the paintwork, but something about him looks... I, I think he's more of like a matte kind of colour yeah. in Series 7. He does look a lot better, and it's funny you say that because they do use a season seven shot from Gordon and Spencer. I, I do, yeah. And they add a little like sparkle to it, it, like a digital effect, which I think was very cute because they understand he looks totally different. And it's funny you say that because when he comes back in season eleven, he looks even more shiny. <laughs> what are they doing to this guy? They're just uh, buffering him up just every time he's about to go on set. <laughs> I imagine, like, holding him, he's so slippery. <laughs> he slides out of your hands onto the set. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, I don't know. Like, the, the, the more I think about it, like, if, if I could, like, be the custodian of any Thomas prop, I think one of them would have to be, like, Series 8 or 11 Spencer. I don't know. Something about that would be really cool. Yeah, and uh, Spencer just as a prop of, in and of itself looks incredible. And I, I say this, I, I used to own a, a Hornby Spencer once at one point and that that was just so beautiful to look at there's something it's just how sleek he is and and the color i i i think if if i could choose a prop but besides diesel 10 spencer would be the would be the prop to have oh you go diesel 10 oh Oh, only only just so i could have pinchy like pick up my phone and hand it to me that's fantastic so edward the great um we i think we've we've covered mostly everything that we can cover with the story we've pulled it apart, we've rewritten it, we've told the actual story that happens and we've compared it to its counterpart from its spin-off. Um, what would you rate, I almost said Jack and the Pack, but what would you rate <laughs> Edward the Great <laughs> out of... Actually, no, no, what would you rate the Jack and the Pack spin-off out of 10? I I, would, I have a lot of nostalgia for Jack and the Pack, so I'm, I'm going to give that a solid 10 out of 10 because I'm blinded by nostalgia. Oh, good boy. <laughs> However, I, I, I... <laughs> Edward the Great, I will not be so kind to. I, I, th- I think Edward the Great, I would say uh, probably a two, two out of ten. I, I, I don't know. This, this episode never, never stuck with me as a kid. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to lean on you there. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to be a bit more generous. I'm going to go a three because it's got Spencer. I think that kind of boosts like one point up a little bit but I think everything else kind of falls a little bit flat for me. This is, uh, out of all the episodes of season eight, I think this is definitely one of the weaker ones. Um, and, you know, that, it's even worse than some of the Christmas episodes. And Christmas episodes in the hit era can be really bad. But, but this... Cardi, they have tinsel for Thomas. Oh, oh my God, you know, you're right. <laughs> that but, makes everything better. But... In, in it, it is weird, though, and I was, I was just looking at the Wikia trivia here for a second. Abby Grant said this is one of her favorite episodes because it's centered around Edward. And you know what? For that, because I love Abby Grant, I'll give it a 2.5. Oh, that's that's uh, that's generous right there. You're, you're hearing it here. This is generosity at its peak. <laughs> Cardi, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it, it's been a while since you've been on, so... What have you been up to since uh, we've uh, last had you on the podcast? So I'm still working on this little documentary. Uh, it's called An Unlikely Fandom. Uh, just editing now. Did did a test screening recently. Went over very well. Just adding the final touches and, and getting it ready. A lot of magical wink wink surprises 
in store and outside of that i am doing a lot of freelance filmmaking work and you would be surprised that i have a tie to thomas because all of my twitter account is just me talking about films and filmmaking but thankfully uh yeah i have hopefully i can do more thomas stuff soon and this is why i like doing this podcast because it keeps me it keeps me one uh one one leg in the door with the community we we got to keep you in somehow whether it's reviewing a poorly aged era episodes or showing your friends your Thomas the Tank channels or reminding us how great the Magic Railroad is. We've got to keep involved somehow. Oh, yeah. No, if there's one last thing I can say is that Magic Railroad is is the greatest film of all time. I say that as a film historian and filmmaker and film student. You have to trust me now. <laughs> we'll get you on for a, a full video analysis one day. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime uh, that was uh, our reviews of Spick and Span and Edward the Great and in the next episode you'll hear me again with another guest host we'll be reviewing Squeak, Rattle and Roll and the other greatest episode of all time Thomas and the Circus it's going to be great but in the meantime I've been Denim and I have been Cardi have a good one Hi, I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right on Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Tom and Cardi. Despite being a very different season from the golden era, it's interesting to hear the different perspectives our guests provide. It's now time for our musical interlude, where we will hear Les Trois Pierres Blanches, a cover brought to us by Star Tom. <laughs>
thank you, Star Tom, for that fun Thomasified cover of Le Trois Pierre Blanche. We enjoy hearing all the music in the fandom, so if you have any suggestions for future musical interludes, be sure to send us an email at rightontrackthomas at gmail.com. Next up, we have our resident model train guru, Lachlan Kyle, who is chatting to another guru of sorts in the Australian train and model railway community, Will James, in today's instalment of Model Train Corner. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Model Train Corner. We have another interview this episode. This episode, and for the next episode, we will be talking with Australian model railway YouTuber and photographer Will James. A little bit of an introduction to Will James. He's a, like I said, model railway YouTuber, and he's only been on the scene for about a year. Uh, And before that, he did, or still does, photography. So that's taking photos of trains and professional photography. And you can go onto his YouTube channel and you can still see what he's what he was up to back, you know, before he got into the model railway scene with model railway news and his layout updates and such. He'd just go train chasing like uh, like any other, I guess, any other railway YouTuber. Like they plonk themselves out somewhere in Victoria, Melbourne, uh, and they just capture movements of any freight trains or special trains that might come about. Another note to make about this interview is that a lot of the information may be outdated or no longer relevant because this was recorded back in January of 2022. It is now, uh, according to my <laughs> the date on my computer, the 28th of September 2022. So we're out by a long shot. Between then and now, Will has reached 5,000 subscribers, so big ups to him. Congratulations. And I'd say he's arguably done more for the model Australian model railway scene than anyone else has ever. We're quite a niche little section of uh, the model railway scene. So Australian model railways as a whole is niche, but Victorian model railways is even smaller than that. And he's done so much to get it up and out there. He's been recognised by people in America, I'm pretty sure. He's being recognised by people all over the world, and I... Uh, congratulations to him, that's all I can really say. Another note, another another note to make about this interview is uh, this was the first one I conducted back in uh, January. So you will hear some pretty poor quality because I recorded this on my phone and Will recorded this on a proper mic. I didn't have a proper mic until a few months later and that's probably why my recording sounds so much better now uh, compared to back compared to back then. You, you'll, you'll, you'll see, though. <laughs> Every time Will talks, it sounds like uh, paper rustling or something. But anyway, let's get on to the interview, let's talk to Will James, and let's have some fun. Will James, how are we? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm not too bad. Excellent to hear. We got anything happening? What? What? How? Like, how are we? Uh, you know, talk about yourself. At the moment, 
everything's busy. Um, we just had our first model railway exhibition for the year, which was Warrnambool. Uh, the video came out yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, that might have been some time ago or very recently. But um, yeah, so we're not back to normal, but you know, on the model railway scene, I guess we are. I can go to the model railway club, I can run my trains, I can go and converse with my friends. And yeah, we went down to Warrnambool the other day, which uh, for reference is about three hours from Melbourne uh, on the coast towards South Australia, I guess that way, although you wouldn't go to South Australia via Warrnambool. Um, yeah, so that was good. So we're back back to normal-ish. And yeah, um, that's that's what's been going on lately. And then just planning, because we're still in the early throes of January, just planning out uh, what's what's going to happen this year, yeah. where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah, definitely keen myself to get around some more uh, exhibitions this year. That's That's something that's on the list. So you should be. I ran into the... You're in the Ballarat Model Railway Club. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And I had a big chat to the to the chaps from Ballarat the other day. Uh, oh, did you see the them down there? Yeah, had a big chat. Yeah, um, cool. There'll be a bit of a... There was a plug in the... They're selling one of the... Another exhibition layout. So, yeah. Yeah, they wanted... They had a few questions whether I'd be interested, which unfortunately I'm not. I don't really have the room uh, for... That but um, very large yeah. end scale layout. Even though the idea behind end scale is space saving, yeah, yeah, but wasn't to be. So, first question: uh, What was your what was your int- introduction into into trains and model railways? So, I guess uh, like most people, it was it, well, it was family. So, dad was into trains, and and you know he'd take us along to. Uh, see them go past now dad wasn't like the biggest gunzel in the world like i kind of am but yeah he'd take us to see i've got footage of seven r seven six six um like doing geelong shuttles in 1996 and and all these other little bits and pieces and we'd go watch we'd move to the country and we'd watch the freight trains but then i guess on the model aspect um and i guess it keeps in theme with uh your podcast here we grew up with vhs tapes of thomas and we had um so we had probably a dozen Thomas tapes, and I think they're still at my parents' house in Ballarat. Um, and yeah, they're, they're the Ringo Starr narrated ones, and I think those two factors got me into it. And then, you know, I got out of it um, probably from when I was eighteen through to late twenties. Um, I decided, you know, it just wasn't cool, wasn't the thing. And then one day I saw an ad for. a I think it was the Caulfield Exhibition or the Steam Rail Open Day. I can't remember if it was that or Sandown. And I said, well, might as well might go along. Like, you know, I used to be into that. We'll go have a look. Yeah, and then yeah. now we're here. Yeah. A few years later. Um, found what I liked about it and all that kind of stuff. And it there's a lot of facets of the hobby that I really enjoy and it all just came together. It, now, it's, it's funny because yeah. that seems to be the... The one thing that everyone has in common, at least from my point of view, because I've kind of gone through that motion as well. Like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I liked Thomas the Tank Engine. I'd collect all the little metal toys and whatnot. Uh, and yep. then I kind of, you move on to something else as you get older, as a teenager and whatnot. Uh, and I think it was as I was finishing up high school, actually. Um, I By that time, I already had one or two model trains, but I, p- I picked it up again. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I want to learn more about this. And then that's, kind of how I got myself back into it. So, yeah, nice. yeah. A lot, a, lot, a lot of people, from what I've heard, have sort of a similar story. They never 
not all, not usually people like trains all their life, but each to their own, I guess. Absolutely. I think something I've found lately is that like I get a lot of messages from people who may not have even had any interest and like they're not going to go and chase trains or anything like that, but they're interested in other aspects of the hobby, be it electrical wiring or like the DCC programming. That's something that attracts people for a totally different reason or operations. I mean, people who yeah. love board games, like technical board games, really like operations because it's so involved, but they don't care about the scenery. They don't care about, um, you know, how many rivets are where and if this was the correct era for which carriages should be which, which locomotive, they want to play it as a game. And that's a whole another aspect that I think gets overlooked quite a lot. Um, yeah, so... I don't think you necessarily even have to be in a trains to like get into model trains, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, there's there's some sort of mass appeal to it. Like, um, mm. I re- I reckon every time you know a train has come into Ballarat Station, half the people there aren't even train enthusiasts. They just go, oh my god, Absolutely. steam train! We're gonna go have a look at yep. that. Yeah, it's it's a weird phenomenon, like how especially with steam or heritage like wooden carriages you open the window i remember years ago i took a mate um we'd come down from ballarat to melbourne for the day and i was like look i know we're going to go do this but i want to go and look at the steam rail running um essendon shuttles between essendon and broadmeadows i said without telling him i just went and bought a ticket um i was like cool we're gonna go ride it we're we're just gonna get on it i've already paid for it get on and he's like i really don't want to be like and i'm like no 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 it'll be good and the second I got in, it was um, they were using the uh, Tate set with a push-pull with two steam locomotives. And I opened the window and stuck my head out. And he's like, wait, you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. That's part, of the, that's part of the appeal. And he's like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Like, and, you know, you're going along and wind and noise and sound. It's a whole, whole thing. And, yeah, he had a great day. And I think that's something, it's a weird, weird thing. But even then, like, you look at people who come out to see a train, like... Um, yeah, Ballarat's a good example. Oh, I hear a steam train's coming. Oh, we'll go and wave at it. We'll take the kids and, and wave to the people on the steam train. Like, that's such a weird thing of, like, the waving. Um, I don't know. I might be digressing here, but it's true. Trains have got this weird phenomenon that, that happens that attracts all these people and, yeah, everyone gets excited. It's weird. Yeah. Because you don't get it with other things. Like, you don't, I don't know, you don't go and see a truck and you're like, oh, mass transport or a I don't know, I'm not into buses, and I know people who are, and that's that's all good, but I don't get excited to go see a bus. Maybe a ship or an aeroplane, but, yeah. Yeah, like, like for example, <laughs> you, you, have, you have car swap meets and whatnot. It's all usually <laughs> just car enthusiasts. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, it is. But, yeah, you, you have a steam train trip, and it's families from all walks of life. And people who wouldn't just even people know like... what the train is they're riding mm-hmm. behind. Oh, absolutely. Like the other the other week, other week, a couple of weeks ago, more than a couple of weeks ago, I caught the Sandringham shuttles and I shared a compartment with a couple who just wanted something to do. They didn't really care about the train or anything about it. They were just not, I say normal. They were just everyday people. who were just, yeah. oh, we thought it'd be a good idea to book, book a ticket this morning and ride it back and forth. I'm like, sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Now, how, how good's this? Like... Yeah, it's 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 odd in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're into uh, photography. So uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you're like a like, like you mentioned earlier. You're a Gunzel, and Gunzels usually, you know, take photos of trains and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, tell us about your photography and your uh, train spotting adventures. I, I suppose. 
It, it's something that definitely goes hand in hand. So uh, when I lived in Ballarat, I was a working photographer and I had my own business and I was doing a lot of editorial. I was doing your nightclubs. I was doing everything that would pay me. So I was shooting babies, 21st engagements, everything like that. And it was fine. It was, I did it, um, I guess, as a hobby for a while. And then I went out my own for a few years. And then I got poached by a, a large electronic retailer in Australia um, to come and be a camera specialist, which got me out of doing jobs I didn't particularly enjoy doing. Um, and then I think, yeah, when I started getting back into it all, yeah, it made sense. Like, I like photography, I like that aspect. And photography's there, I've got all the gear go and take some photos. And then they started getting, um, this is probably, I wanna say five years ago, maybe a bit, bit longer. It was, yeah, people were like, oh, these are good. And I was like, oh, sweet, thanks. And then it just started going there. And then I got on the cover of Newsrail a few times and a few articles in there, and a couple of the centerfold spreads and same with some AMRA. Um, if, you're in, if, if you're in the Australian Model Railway Association, we have a, I think it's, once every three months a magazine comes out and yeah, they were getting photos in there and I was like, oh, publish work, like of a subject that I actually liked. And then, yeah, I realized I had the camera year to do videos and do all that thing. And yeah, just kind of snowballed from there. So now, I mean, majority of work I do is railway related and, you know, I wish it was more, but I still have to work a full-time job and my job is selling camera gear. Uh, I am my title is camera specialist and that's fun. I like doing that. I like helping people out and getting them the right tool, I guess, for, for what they want to do. But I also like making like the videos. Like I love um, everything about it, like as a learning kind of thing. And yeah, I, I like, I like all that aspect and it all just kind of meshed together yeah. really well. And it still is like, it's all still a learning curve, but um the video aspect i'm not a videographer by any means but yeah I, I like doing it all and it all just yeah makes makes sense. yeah more or less living the dream all your all your hobbies you know all in one i think i'd be living the dream if it, if it was my job like if i could just say to uh my work hey it's been good um see you later and and do it like some of the some people i look up to from overseas they they do and you know that'd be great but Guess at the end of the day, I got to be realistic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. But at the moment, look, it's a it's a fun hobby that gets me out and about. Like it means I'm not stuck at home. I like that aspect. I like being. I ran into someone the other day who asked me, "It's like, what what do you like about it? Like, do you like making the model railway news videos?" And I said, "Look, they're great. Um, I like giving everyone the news and and making a free um, video for everyone, so they don't have to, you know." It's there. It's a visual medium. You don't have to read. You don't have to do anything. You get more information. That's great. I actually don't necessarily like it as much as just getting in the car and driving and chasing trains and or going to an exhibition. Like that's what I really, really enjoy. But I guess at the end of the day, it's still just a hobby. Yeah, the hobby. That's it. The secondary part of it. But like you're, you're there for mm. the actual subject of the video, and the video is just kind of what you make of it afterwards, and you show mm. to everyone else. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, like that was a point of like getting into now like exhibition videos. It's like, well, not everyone can go, especially at the moment. Um, why not show them what happened or what's going on and try and give them as much detail as I can, not just um, a couple of words on the screen like, oh, you know, this is Barry's layout and it's in HO. Like, try and give a bit more. And, and that's something I've got to practice and learn more of and that, that aspect of it. 
I think with these interviews, this might become a bit more uh, of an obligatory question, uh, especially for mm. people like yourself. But do you have a, a favorite uh, heritage railway or favorite locomotive, something like that? <laughs> so a couple of years ago, I went to the Pistiniog and Welsh Highlands Railway. And that by far was probably one of the best I've ever seen. Um, I, I got a, a soft spot for narrow gauge and I stayed in, um, I say the name wrong, um, Port Maddock, even though it's written as like Port Madog. Um, yes, yeah, and I've been exactly saying it wrong the entire time I was there. I stayed at the pub and I stayed in a nice little room upstairs and it was just really, really nice. And, you know, it goes up into the mountains and it's all foggy. Well, I went in winter or just out of winter. Um, it was cold and wet. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful. And that was probably my favorite. Like I bought a little narrow gauge set while I was over there as a, as a reminder. And yeah, I think that was probably the best or the nicest or yeah, row I've ever been to. Um, I guess as if I had to pick one, that was, it's up there. Like, I don't want to say one out of, out of everything because every railway I've ever been to, I've had a great experience and it's, it's been really enjoyable. Like I can catch Puffing Billy and it's, I know I'm going to have a good day or I can, the other day I went on the VGR again for the second time in a year, I get a couple of years. Oh, forget about COVID. Um, and I had a great day. Like you got a first class tea, you go out in the balcony. It's, ah, oh, oh, the, the observation car. Great. Like I think all of them are great. And I'm not going to say there's a bad one, for example, but I think, yeah, if I have to pick one of like great experiences, the Stiniog was was probably the Stiniog Welsh Highlands was probably one of the standouts. I mean, it was like being in Middle Earth, but with a train. Like wow. it's just these huge, big hills, rolling landscape, and and these like all the photos are on my website. But um, yeah, that was there we go. Yeah, I'll just pick that. Pick <laughs> yeah, beautiful part of the world Wales is. I've I've looked into oh. uh, the Festiniog myself. De- mm. Definitely on uh, my to go to list at some point. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. you, I can't recommend it highly enough. Like, I, I don't know. I think you can catch a train there, but I, I rented a car and drove around, and it was tip top. And because like Lake Lake Bala is is not. I think I'm saying it wrong. It's Welsh. It's it's the weirdest looking language that's still pretty close to English. Um, I think I can read German better than I can read Welsh. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, there was that, that that was a couple of miles away, and it, it was just this beautiful, beautiful little locomotives with they're they're really old. They don't have cabs on them or anything, and they, you know, and that was just down the road. And then there was um, there was another slate railway I went to while I was there, and it was all just the Welsh narrow gauge stuff. Just yeah. if you're gonna make a trip, I reckon that's so far um, like the kind of mecca that I've ever found. Like I've been in Japan. I went to Japan a couple of years ago uh, with with work. I was only in Tokyo for like five days. I went and saw the Shinkansen and I saw, you know, Tokyo Metro and stuff. And I was like, this is cool. Like, this is real now. I saw some of those luxury trains and like, I didn't get to ride them, but they were there and I was like, oh, that's awesome. But nothing really, yeah, got me like uh, the, the Welsh Railways did. I think that was probably the best. Something, something about how uh, little engines can do it. Like, like, like I, was, I was saying before, there's, there's an appeal of steam engines, but the little ones, the, the, the smaller... That's probably why Puffing Absolutely. Billy down here is so popular. I was just about to say that. It's like, yeah. look, look at why Puffing Billy is so popular. Like, when COVID wasn't a thing, um, you look at the tourism industry for Victoria, for Melbourne, like, they mashing it. I mean, I, mean, I realise that they get a government backing and everything, but 
there is a reason that everyone wanted to go there. I mean, don't get me wrong, proximity to Melbourne, excellent, but um, certain charm. I kind of wish there was more of it because, like, I mean, what's the next nearest for us is is Bellarine or Redcliffs. I suppose they're narrow gauge. But, yeah. Um, but but they but narrow gauge a different narrow gauge. Like you look at Bellarine, they're quite large. Like they're West Australian locomotives and things like that, and quite big still. Like some of the South African stuff is enormous. But um, yeah. Anyway, no. <laughs> that's all good. So you have some pretty interesting uh, merchandising. Uh, you, you sell uh, Victorian Railways beanies and badges and hats and stickers and things. Uh, mm. where, did you, where did you get the inspiration for that stuff? Where, how did that so, come about? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's an easy just one. Just a bit of a so... shameless plug for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so I remember going to, for example, Newport Railway Museum in probably the late 90s uh, when it was ARHS. And you used, that, that museum used to have a really reasonably good... Like, from memory, I was only 10, but reasonably good um, gift shop. And you could buy enamel pins. And I think that's what it started with is I've still got them all. Like when I started digging through all collections and things like that that I had, um, I found them and I've got all these locomotives and things like that. And I was like, oh, cool. I wonder if you can still buy them and you can't. No one was producing them. So I said, how hard could this be? And it is quite hard. But it's fun. I like producing it and I like seeing it. Like I, I, I see um, some spotters out every now and again. They've got pins on or a hat on and and um, it's, it's, it's really rewarding. I'm like, oh, you're getting the enjoyment that I got out of it. That Yeah, I, I made something and, and there it is. Like someone else really enjoys it. So I guess that's where it came from is remembering that years and years ago and even when I was in the UK, you, you'd go to a heritage museum or or a railway museum, uh, a tourist railway, and they were still doing enamel pins. I went to some model railways, so you could buy enamel pins, you could buy railway-related merch, be it hats, beanies, shirts, hoodies. Like, I watch um, some American stuff, and they've got... You can buy, like, an embroidered um, bomber jacket. Not that I'm going to do that, but, like, it's quite a normal thing. Like, you, you, it's readily available. Like, well, why don't we have that? Like, people clearly want... Like, I'm more than happy to buy... I bought some shirts from Thelmere when I was there. What was it? It's not last... Year before. Right before COVID, we went. And um, they're great shirts. They fit well. They look cool. But I'm like, well, Victoria doesn't have any. And they're not that readily available. You can't buy some of them off their web store. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to make some stuff for, for everyone else. Um, I try to keep the cost down as much as I can. Make it affordable. And, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Because, like... I've noticed as well, like, uh, other, like, not railway YouTubers, but, like, just normal YouTubers, they'll have, uh, like, a a shirt or something with, like, an inside joke that only mm. that group of people will understand. I just thought it was kind yeah. of interesting that you just, you just like, well, I'm not going to put, like, my name, Will James Railways, on a shirt. No, just go with, like, no Victoria Railways badges and beanies and things. I, I, someone said that to me. It's like, oh, why don't you have your own branded merch? I'm like, why would... Who would know? Yeah, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't envision going to a model railway exhibition and see someone walking around with my name written across the back. Like Luke Towen kind of nailed it on that aspect because he's got Boulder Creek Railroad and I bought a Boulder Creek shirt. And, you know, that's that's fine. Like, it's it's pretty broad. But, like, yeah, I couldn't have my... And that's the thing. I kind of... I don't regret it, but going with my own name um, might have been 
on the merch side of things not the best idea but it is what it is and yeah i don't want i don't want i couldn't do it i couldn't have my <laughs> name plastered across a shirt like it'd yeah just be, i mean people are still nah. buying it i mean i've bought oh look at that oh no look at that full collection i believe you have um i think i've got, I've got the hat the beanie two glasses a pin and the hitachi pin as well actually <laughs> mm. i mean it's just cool to have i reckon yeah, well, I think it's fun. Like, I like it. And it's, it's weird how it's crossed a couple of demographics that I didn't even realise. So, my merch is stocked at a store on Chapel Street. Now, there might be a few people who disagree with this, and I'm not going to go into it and things, but it is a store that sells uh, street art paraphernalia. There we are. There's an easy way to put it. Um, or not easy way to put it. But... um. They stock it. They stock my merch. Um, they stock the beanies and, and some pins and some stickers and a few other things. And it's weird. Like, these people who are into an art form. I don't know how much I can go. Street I don't know. Art, um, paraphernalia that wear these yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, they love it. They, there's a, a large amount of people who, who have bought it that are street art enthusiasts. And <laughs> it, I didn't even think about them and they yeah they want railway merch and it's really odd yeah really yeah. interesting that's that yeah hmm. really curious like all of a sudden I've, I've got all these yeah these followers who are not your typical gunzel or, or rail fan they're into that other aspect of of railways and i'm I, personally i'm fine with it um but i'm not gonna i don't want to get into it because <laughs> it's a very hot topic um, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so it's weird that because they're all like, oh yeah, I want I want Met stuff. Like the Met was a big influence for them, and and yeah, so it's crossed a, a demographic. It might be a thing of um, if if they're older, for example, with the Met, so mm. it might be it might be a soft, something for um, a thing of nostalgia for them, or Absolutely. because Absolutely. it's Melbourne. It's it's, it's it's spot on. Yeah. No, there's very iconic things with Melbourne and like, oh, the Met, that was cool. Oh, wear a beanie of that and show off to my mm. friends or whatever. Absolutely. Like, I've got people from work bought a bunch of beanies and I was, and people I didn't even think would, like, would never in a million years if they said, oh, who would buy this? I wouldn't have picked them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll grab that. Yeah, I, I grew up with that and I, I want that. And that's great. Fantastic. Um, brings them some sort of happiness. That's, that's, that's great. But, um, yeah. I, I think it's awesome that it has that, that real broad appeal. I mean, one that because my girlfriend will often join me uh, at the club sometimes when she's feeling brave enough. I put I put the beanie <laughs> on her as a joke, and she's like, "Right, this actually looks really cool. I'm going to keep it on." And she did, and I didn't get it back. Oh no! Isn't that that happens to all my clothes? I don't know about you, but yeah, they all disappear <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a really good hoodie. Oh, well, there goes that. Um, yeah, weird appeal, but great appeal. Like good on like. That's awesome. deal. It's 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 more probably more of a fashion thing. That's what I'm trying to get at. More of a fashion thing than it is. I'm a fan of this. Potentially, it just looks yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. So what what would we typically see in a uh, a Will James railway fleet in, in terms of model railways? My my fleet is it, it's all Australian. It's mainly Victorian HO scale. Yeah, mainly Victorian. It's mainly what I grew up with. So there's a lot of orange and grey V line. A lot of the maroon and blue V-line. Um, there's West Coast Railways. I've got... I just bought a D3. So that just th 
threw out all of that <laughs> that I was going to say. I was going to say, oh, from like the 50s, but the Dietrich's like 90 something. They're pretty old, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I haven't written the show notes for it yet, so I haven't done my research. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's 639, so that's... Ooh, which, 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 which 639 did you get? The black one? Uh, I got the black one with the red. I should have bought the Canadian red one, I've realised. I've seen the Canadian red and I was like, oh, I should have... I, I bought the Canadian red oh, one. I should have brought that. Oh, well, I've made a mistake. I'll live with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's mainly everything that's run in Victoria. There's a little bit of South Australian, a little bit of... I've got some Western Australian railway stuff, but it's what ran here, so like the L's. Um, yeah, it, yeah. So majority Victorian... All Australian. Um, I do have, yeah, some Welsh narrow gauge, and I've got some Japanese N scale. Uh, it doesn't get run. It, I just bought it on holiday. Um, I've got some O scale wind up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly right. it though. What I collect, I guess, on a, a day to day is is mainly Victorian HO. Uh, it's all DCC, or it's going to be DCC. Uh, I try to buy sound. Uh, even though my wallet does not agree with it. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> it is a big money pit. But yeah, that's that's mainly what it is. Yeah, and it mainly consists of uh, diesel locomotives and stuff, right? That's only because I can't afford the steam engines, mate. Like, I mean, all that's been available for the last... Fifth, <laughs> further back, the last forever has been brass. I mean, now we do have affordable steam. I mean, that's... In, in, even though it's I, every time I say it, especially the people at work, uh, I say what the, the Australian Railway models thirty eights for hundred bucks. That's ridiculously good value. Um, at least that's my two cents. I know the video, my video is not out yet, but um, spoiler alert: I think they're fantastic. Like that thing can pull a full brass rake around our layout, and it doesn't falter. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to fix with it, which is why the video is taking so long. But yeah. As for ready-to-run steam, it's not affordable for everyone. I totally understand that. I mean, the cheapest I had for ages was an R-Class that I bought second-hand, and it still cost me $500. Um, I just bought the D3, like I mentioned. It cost me 800 bucks. <laughs> like, it's it's not... Yeah, the the diesels, on the other hand, I mean, you can pick them up... I mean, you can pick up a DC model for a couple of hundred dollars and throw a chip in it for... If you collect DCC, um, you throw a chip in it for not much. And if you want sound, it doesn't cost that much more. I mean, oh, it does. It adds up pretty quick. But yeah, yeah, it, that's why it's mainly diesel is because it's been ready to run um, and they're affordable. I mean, Ascision Bargain Bins at Caulfield and Sandown have been a blessing in, in a way. Like a lot of those locos have been pulled out of that bargain bin. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, majority is diesel, but in the last 12 months, I've, well, not even, in the last four months, I've bought three steamers, a J, a 38, and now a D3. And I'll buy a K. Actually, there's a few Ks I, I want, but the money is the problem. Like, that's right. <laughs> like, oh, it's like, oh, these would be great. And I'm like, that's more than that's most people's cars cost. Like, <laughs> I can't just, can't just do that. I, I, I reckon it's awesome that we're going to start seeing some uh, more ready-to-run steamers, Victorian steamers, on the market. Mm. I'm, I'm really hoping that Australia Railway Models um, has some good stuff in the works, though, too, because they're, they're really good for a um, you know starter you know 
I think what we'll see in yeah the next few years is is some some more affordable things come out um, with with Australian railway models bringing out the thirty eights and considering how popular they've been like they've sold out they sold out the first one I don't know how this the streamline is going I think it's nearly done um, and then there's another one on the way which seems to have fallen by the wayside a little bit uh, but I guess that's due to manufacturing. I believe that one was um, another unstreamed one running in the black livery. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were supposed to come out at the same time I from memory. I thought that was the case because then I, look, I, I, yeah, I was actually going to buy them both. But then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's going to come next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I've got photos of all this advertising for it and then all of a sudden it just fell off. Now I understand there are manufacturing issues and that's, that's fine. But yeah, it gets people into Australian prototype. I mean... A couple of guys at the club have bought the same 38 and they've weathered it and it looks fantastic um, with a bit of a dress up it's even better and that's considerably cheaper than anything else on the market like I mean your next step was Eureka which you're looking at buying a second hand one for triple what that thing's worth and then you still have to modify it so it can pull anything at all like they're a they're not a strong model by any means or you can buy brass one, a second-hand brass one from, like, what... I think the last one that came out was sometime in the 2000s, and you're looking at, what, $2,000? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Go, going off that, I guess, um, are there any uh, particular brands you're a fan of? I'm going to guess Precision because you have a lot of it. I do, but they're also the big manufacturer. You don't really have a choice, I, I suppose, suppose, in yeah. a way. Like, in terms of a, a favourite manufacturer, I, I'm not going to say... I've, really got one i'm really impressed with um Ascision's models they generally do not release a bad model uh idr if i have to pick one it's idr models oh yeah that w class that that i did a review on is still hands down the most reliable loco i've ever bought i mean it was i think it was a reasonable price it came dcc and sound equipped with the keep alive and it doesn't miss a beat um they're whatever they're going to release next which is the derm um i mean i will buy there's there's no question about it that thing will be tip top and um, yeah i think there we go if i have to pick one for an australian manufacturer who manufactures the models that i buy idr right yeah i could definitely say as well that the w's are when 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 there's one running at my club everyone stops and gawks at it just because of how impressive they are mm. yeah Good choice. Like we, we had the prototypes for a while, like, at the club, and they were good then. Still are now, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it's nearly two years down the track, and don't have to service it, just works. Plunk it on the track, and it goes. Like, dirty track, bad track, bad points, just rolls over them, because the keep alive and it's nice and big, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, IDR. Yeah. So that was part one of my interview with Will James. Be back again next week where we continue chatting with him. We talk about, I'm pretty sure we continue talking about photography, model railways, YouTube, just all that general stuff that he gets up to. Thank you, Lachlan and Will, for that great conversation. You can catch part two of that interview in the next episode of Right on Track. 
Before we go today, we have the first of a few exciting announcements to make. We could tell you what the surprise is, but have a listen to this clip. You like stories, trains, and magic? Well, you've come to the right place. Shining Time Station. I'm Adrian. I'm Mike. And this is Time to Shine. I thought as a kid that the island of Sodor was a real place and that these were real steam engines that people just happened to be filming. And, Absolutely. You know, <laughs> but that also extends to Shining Time Station itself. How do you know what can happen? Watch. I'm going to send a train right through your imagination. The best bit being when they ask him what he's going to have for lunch and he goes, a whole shrimp. <laughs> there will be train station shenanigans music from the jukebox band movies from the picture machine and of course thomas the tank engine time to shine come find out why there's just something about this place yes everything you heard there is correct the ride on track family is extending across the pond to canada where new hosts, Mike and Adrian, will feature in a new spin-off podcast, Time to Shine. The podcast will cover the entirety of the Shining Time Station TV series with reviews, conversations, special guests and more. Be sure to keep an ear out for it soon. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us on episode 67 of Ride on Track. We hope to have you again soon. You've been listening to Ride on Track. This podcast was hosted by Connor Jonas, Tom Parry, Lachlan Kyle, M. Taylor and Tom Denham. The audio producers for this podcast were Jason Evans, Harry Hughes, Ashley DeGroote and Frederick French-Prounce. The supervising producers are Connor Jonas and Tom Parry. The executive producer is Tom Denham. Visit rideontrackpodcast.org for more information plus bonus material and be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash rideontrackthomaspodcast, on Twitter at ontrackthomas and Instagram at rideontrackpodcast.com.